Good morning. morning. Everybody good? All right. How many of you can believe that it is December already? Where has this year gone? Where are the years going? And we just get younger and younger with it. Isn't that awesome? (laughs) For those of you that don't know me, I'm Pastor Jose. I'm the lead pastor here, and we welcome you to Church at the Bridge. I'm excited to be here with you today and to have the privilege to share the word. It's not something that we take lightly here, and it's not something that we... uh, we use as a gimmick. We're not here to give you our opinion. We're not here to give you our denominational stance. That's of no uh, service to you. We're here to point you to the word of God. At the end of the day, we should all be interested in hearing God's word and how it speaks directly to us. Amen? Amen. Go ahead and slap somebody a high five and say, I'm ready. ready. All right. I'm glad you guys are ready. And so over the last couple of weeks, we've been on, (laughs) I see somebody slapping a high five to somebody behind you, praise God. Um, Over the last couple of weeks, we've been on a series entitled, Let's Build Something Big. Let's Build Something Big. And what we've actually done over the last several weeks is we've dived into the book of Nehemiah. And what we've been seeing is, what we've been learning is about the story of a man who was called by God to do something really, really big. But he wasn't called to do it alone. He was called to incorporate the people of God. Um, And as he went, as we studied this building project, what we realized was quite a few different things. Now, if you'll recall over the last several weeks, if you think about Nehemiah when we first started this uh, series, he didn't seem to be anything special at face value. I mean, if we really think about it, he was a captive just like the rest of the people of Israel. He was disgraced along with all Israel for the state of chaos and destruction that they had settled for. And he had no foreseeable hope of a future or the promises of God. But the truth is that Nehemiah, in fact, was very, very different. There was something special that separated him above the rest. And it propelled him to great things and to build something really big with his life. If you've never thought of this, God really does intend for your life to be a big deal. It is a big deal. If God created you, God meant for your life to make a big impact. And for some of us, we might judge that impact by what we see, by what we feel, by what we've been told. But ladies and gentlemen, the impact that God is looking to make through your life has nothing to do with what you see or hear or feel. It has everything to do with what his word is declaring to you and where he's leading and guiding you. Amen? Let me put it to you this way. If you're walking after God, you're already succeeding. You're already a success. The Bible says that Joseph, while he was imprisoned, was a successful man because he was with God. And so you're already successful, right? But as we closed out the book of Nehemiah last week, we were able to see that there was a much bigger picture than when we first started the book. When you first start reading it, it seems that it's all about building a wall. And it's about uh, gathering some people together. But it was much bigger than that. It was much bigger than what Nehemiah conceived and what the people could see. See, everything that Nehemiah did, every challenge that Nehemiah faced head on and overcame, every sleepless night that we read that he had rallying the people and bringing them together to defend one another and continue the building process, all that he did throughout that entire process was for the benefit of others. I want you to consider that. Because Nehemiah built a great wall. 
A wall that was not held simply by stones and mortar, but a wall that was held and put together by a love in the heart of the people for God that was restored and for each other. Listen closely. From within those walls, in other words, the people that were already there, and for those that were without the walls, the ones outside the walls. In Nehemiah 11, and we're not going to really dig into the book of Nehemiah, but I'm using it as a springboard for where we're going today. In Nehemiah 11, it details the return of the people of Israel, how they begin to come back. There were those that were already there, but then there were a few that started to come. But in Nehemiah 11, what we begin to see is they, become, they, they come from afar. And they, they, we read in Nehemiah 11 a system that they developed to determine who would live within the walls of Jerusalem and who would live in the surrounding region. And it provided settlement for all the people of Israel. And so today, this provides us a basis for the final installment of our series and points us to a great truth that's necessary for us to grasp. Listen, it is highly important. It is of great uh, uh, importance and, and we should esteem it to such an extent. That what God was doing with them and what God was doing through Nehemiah included those that were outside the walls. And why is that important? Because one thing that we've all learned is that God has called you to build something big. It's called your life. But what God is building in you and through you must include those outside the walls that you're building. It must. And so... I want you to consider this question as we get started this morning. How is the building process of your life making room for someone else? How is what God is doing in your life, where God is leading you, what God is revealing to you, how is that making room for someone else? Right? How are you making room with your life to encourage, to benefit, to prosper, to bring healing to bring restoration, to assist in the process of transformation in the lives of others that exist outside the walls of the kingdom that God has called you to. If you're looking for a big idea today, something to wrap your head and heart around, I want you to consider this simple and yet paramount point. If you're going to build something big with your life and in partnership with God, you got to make sure there's room for someone outside the walls consider that point listen we all get excited about what god is doing in our lives and rightly we should we should celebrate that but has it ever crossed your mind that what god is doing in your life isn't just meant for you and so i want you to imagine the world without jesus if you can imagine that i want you to imagine what this world would be like and what your life would be like without the saving power of his death and resurrection. I want you to consider and just try and imagine the power of his spirit within us today that leads us, guides us, and provides us enlightenment and hope for our lives and that being void of your life. I want you to imagine your life without the possibility of healing at work in you. I want you to imagine your life without the goodness and the mercy of God that's readily available to you. I want you to imagine your life without the possibility of eternity with God and a certain destination called hell. Now, while you're imagining that, 
Some of you have a deeper appreciation at this very moment because that's not where you are. And you thank God for that, and we rightly should. But I want you to realize that for many today, they don't have to imagine that because that is their reality. They don't know Christ. They don't know Christ. Turn with me in your Bibles, if you would, to the book of 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 3 through 9. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 3 through 9. Starting at verse 3, it says, Now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. I want you to think about that now moment. How many of you know Jesus Christ to be your Lord and Savior? Okay, about half of you. How many of you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior? How many of you have tasted that the Lord is good? Amen. Praise God. That's a good thing. So what I want you to see is that this scripture applies to you. What we're about to read applies to you. Now that you have tasted that the Lord is good, verse 4, as you come to him, the living stone rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him, you also like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in Scripture it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Verse 7, Now to you who believe, this stone is precious, but to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone that causes people to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message. Think about this. They stumble because they don't know the message, which is also what they were destined for. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. Watch this that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of the darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. It's interesting, but that word living stone there, that phrase, it refers to a building stone that has vital power. It's an active stone. It's strong. It means blessed. Here's what it also means, efficient. It's not a noun. It's a verb. It's an action word. And these verses refer to the life-changing experience that we have all um, received and are experiencing as a result of coming into a relationship with Christ. But I want to point your attention to something. Notice in verses 4 and 5, that what it shows us is, as a matter of fact, I'm just going to read it to you again. It says, as you come to him, the living stone rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him. Watch what it says in verse 5. You also, like living stones, are being built. Let me pause right there. Notice that we have become just like him as a result of our relationship to him. Notice that you are a living stone. So what is that? Why, why is that important? Because it means that you are a building stone that has vital power. You are a stone that is active. You are strong. You are blessed. You're efficient. But verse 9 points us to a valuable truth. That we are here to declare his praises. Because he called us out of the darkness into his wonderful light. The question is, is your declaration one 
that others can hear. I want you to think about that. In uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 20, it says, We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. As though God were making his appeal through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. I want you to get this picture here. Track with me here. Christ is the solution in this hurting world. Would you agree with that? Okay, so if we agree with that, then we also must agree with the truth that's revealed here. That God makes his appeal through you, through me, through us. And so, get this picture. The world needs Jesus, but the world needs you and I to make a credible, loud, visible declaration of what he's done in our lives. And not just our lives. What he's done for all humanity. All humanity. And so here's a question to consider. How loud is your declaration? It's not a put down, ladies and gentlemen. But it's something that sometimes we forget. We remember and we appreciate the valuable blessing that Christ is unto our life. And we should. We should enjoy the prosperity and the goodness of God in our lives. Absolutely. Christ came that we might have life and life more abundantly. That's what he said. You should be proud. You should rejoice in that. You should not be ashamed of the fact that you're blessed, that you're enjoying the goodness of God. But that must overflow into the life of those outside the walls of the kingdom that you now exist in, that we all exist in. And so I want us to look for a moment to the very words of Jesus in Matthew chapter 28, verses 16 through 20. To some of us, this is going to be familiar. For others, maybe this is the first time you've heard it. But for all of us, I want to encourage you to hear it with a fresh set of ears. I want you to hear it as if you've never heard it before. And I want you to consider the truth that Christ is bringing to us all. In Matthew 28, verses 16 through 20, I'm reading from the message version only because of the simplicity of it, and I think it really just makes it plain. It makes it practical. And so it says, Meanwhile, the 11 disciples were on their way to Galilee, headed for the mountain that Jesus had set for their reunion. The moment they saw him, they worshipped him. Some, though, held back, not sure about worship about risking themselves totally. Jesus, undeterred, went right ahead and gave his charge. God authorized and commanded me to commission you. Go out and train everyone you meet, far and near, in this way of life, marking them by baptism in the threefold name, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Then instruct them in the practice of all I have commanded you. I'll be with you as you do this day after day after day, right up to the end of the age. Now, if you think about, if you, if, if you take time, and I encourage you to do so, please don't just leave here saying, good word, pastor, because if all you got is what I said, you missed the point. Everything that we learn from the word should propel us, it should compel us, it should motivate us to seek after God's word. It should encourage us to seek to know God for ourselves, to have an intimate relationship with his word and not an intimate relationship with a preacher or a building. 
Somebody needed to hear that. But anyway, so prior to this, in context, the disciples, they, they received a message from two women, two Marys, both of them named Mary. They both come back and they bring back this report. We've seen Jesus. He's resurrected. He's alive. And they bring instructions from Jesus for the disciples to go to a mountaintop in Galilee where he's to meet them. But when they get there, so get this, they believe the message. They go to the mountaintop, but when they get there and they see him, Scripture tells us that some of them doubted. They were hesitant. Could it really, really be? And so, uh, and most likely, what, what that tells us is that they also, if they doubted that it really was Jesus, they also most likely doubted the message that he gave them. And so, see, when... Uh, this, in essence, is where some believers are today. And hey, if the shoe fits, change it. Don't wear it. Change it. Just change it. It's okay. Recognize where you are, and we need to change it. But this is, in essence, where some believers are today. We believe in Jesus, but in not doing what he commands us to. Consider this. Jesus literally gives them a command. He says, I've been authorized. I've been empowered by God. And, I'm, com- and I'm, I'm authorized to commission you. In other words, I'm authorized to give you the same authority that's been given to me to do what I came for. And notice the command. He says, go out. Go out. In other words, step out of your comfort zone. Hey, how many of you are going out to lunch when you leave here? Or maybe you're going out to breakfast for some of you. You're going somewhere after you leave here. You're going home. How many of you know that to go where you're intending to go, you got to leave where you're at? Now, consider that in light of the words of Jesus. Go out. Go, therefore. Go into the world. And so, in other words, we have to step out of where we are And for some of us, here's what that means. We need to step out of the walls of a place that we call church erroneously, not realizing that the church isn't a building, the church is a people. We're trying to get people in church when you should be bringing the church to them. We should be bringing the gospel to them, right? And so he says, go out, step out of your comfort zone. But you know why he tells them that? Because they weren't doing it. Because they were cowering in fear in a room somewhere. And two women come and compel them, hey, we got to leave where we're at because Jesus is calling us. He's got a message. And so we got to go out. He says, train them. Train them. It's simply speaking of the, the process of discipleship. It's about duplicating in others what's been duplicated in you. It's about duplicating in others a lifestyle based on the truth of God's word, not what somebody tells us, but what we see in the word, what we know to be true in, in, in relation to what we're learning from our personal relationship with Jesus. And so we're to train them, we're to disciple them, we're to invest our lives into others as Christ invested himself into us. Paul puts it this way, he says, hey, follow me as I follow Christ. In other words, if what I'm doing is pointing you to what you see in God's word, then it's good enough. Hey, come, follow me. Let's follow together after Jesus. And along the way, let's duplicate what Christ 
is doing in me and you. Let's, it's all in the Word. He also tells them to baptize them. You know what he's really talking about there? He's talking about leading them into a life of commitment and union with God. Where there's a public declaration that tells everyone, hey, I'm one with God in Christ. The Bible puts it this way. You are one spirit. One spirit with him. You're united to him. It's no longer about me. Paul puts it this way. It's no longer I that live, but Christ that lives in me. And the life that I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loves me, who gave himself for me. It's not about me anymore. It's learning the process of it being more important where Jesus is going and what Jesus is saying and where Jesus is leading, what Jesus is doing, than what I want to do. And lastly, he, he says, instruct them. Instruct them in the practice of what you're learning. You know what that simply means? Hey, teach others what you're being taught. What a concept that we would leave here today and sometime today or throughout the week we'd say, hey, you know, I learned today or I learned this weekend that God is, has authorized Jesus, but Jesus has authorized me to be a, a vehicle through which he brings truth. What a joy that God would see it fit that you are his mouthpiece, that you are his hands and feet. You know what else you're telling them? You know what else you're teaching them? You're teaching them the value of what's changed your life. You know, people don't want to be preached at. They just want to simply know Jesus. We're working out some details now with the school district for something that we're, 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 it's conceptual. And one of the, the, the things that they've brought up to our attention is, hey, you know, we, we don't want you guys out there, you know, proselytizing. And, and here's what I've said to the, the, the uh, and literally here's what he's talking about. We don't want you out there preaching. That's not what you're there for at the moment. We're part, we want to partner with you. And so here's what I've said to the superintendent. Sir, with all due respect, sometimes we don't necessarily have to preach Jesus with, by what we say. We just have to be like him. We just have to connect with people. Let me prove that to you. Paul puts it this way. Paul says this. He says, I became all things unto all people that I might win some. And who did Paul go to? He went to pagans. He went to Gentiles. He went to people that were afar off. And he met right there with them. He fed them. He taught them. He introduced them to Christ. Listen to me, ladies and gentlemen. People need to meet Jesus. People don't want to be preached at, but people do want to meet a credible, real Jesus. They want to see the life-changing power of Christ in your life. That'll draw them to the gospel. That'll give you the door of opening to teach them, to disciple them, to instruct them. It's not that complicated. Think about Jesus. When Jesus taught, he talked to farmers about seeds. He talked to people out in the fields about the lilies that they've sat amongst. He talked to them about the birds that were flying over their head. He taught them in parables. Why? Because that's where they were. But that's where they were and that's where he met them and uplifted them from. Amen? And so the fact that Jesus commands us to do these things tells us that it's a matter of necessity. You know, sharing what God is doing in your life and going out and preaching and teaching and discipling and, and raising up people 
is a part of our growth process. Think about this. Up until that point where the disciples meet Jesus on this mount in Galilee, before he died, everything that he did was teaching them. It was progressive. The Bible says that there was a time where they followed him. He says, I'll make you fishers of men. But then the Bible says that there came a point where he no longer baptized. They were doing the baptizing. And then all of a sudden, he authorizes them, and he sends them out two by two, and he says, go and preach and teach and lay hands and deliver the, you know, raise, raise the dead, heal the sick, deliver the demon-possessed. And they went and they did it, and they rejoiced. And all that. But then there comes a point where he leaves. And in their mind, they probably thought, school's out. We're done. Everything we learned is of no use. How do we know that? Because they were cowering in fear of the Jews. And Jesus calls them out. And he says, no, guys, you missed the point. School's in. Let me teach you something. Let me show you the next step. So what I want you to see is that sharing the gospel, both by the way we live and by what we say and do, making it our business to invest our lives into another to go after another outside the walls, that is growth. That's part of the process. It is necessary. Do something real quick with me. Hold your breath and don't breathe. Just keep doing it. Some of you, some of you just couldn't do it. Some of you are quitting already. Some of you are getting real red. Some of you are like, I, by God, I am not losing this. I am holding my breath. All right, you can all breathe. But I'm going to tell you why some of you started to breathe after a couple of seconds. And for those of you that held it, eventually you would get there. You know why? Because it's necessary. Let me pose a question to you. Have you ever considered that the gospel and going outside the walls of what God is building in your life is a necessity? Have you ever considered that it's a matter of life and death for another? Because it is. And so for the next couple of minutes that I have, I want to share with you some thoughts about making room for others within what God is doing in your life and going outside the walls. Very practical, very simple. But I want to encourage you with this thought, this first thought. You got to see those around you, but you don't just have to see them, you have to touch them. Now, I'm not talking about just visibly just seeing people. I'm talking about seeing people with a different set of eyes. See, every day you take off and you step out into the world, a world in need of Jesus. Would you agree with that? I mean, you could just listen to the news and we could see that. We could, we could, we could just walk outside our doors. We can even talk to some of our own family members, even in our own home even. There are people that need Christ, that don't know Christ, and so we know that. And you hear their stories, you know their hurts, you see their need for a Savior. And Jesus was just like you and me. See, every day he took off and he stepped out into the same world. But what he did when he landed made all the difference. Let me tell you what I'm talking about. Let's turn to Matthew 14, verse 14. And then we're going to look at Matthew chapter 6, verse 34. Let's look at Matthew 14 first. It says, when Jesus landed... And saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them, and he healed their sick. So I want you to consider that. I'm going to read that again to you. 
when Jesus landed, so he already took off. He's already stepped out. But then he lands. And when he lands, he's, he encounters this large crowd. And if you read the story, I don't have time to get into it, but he sees over 5,000 men. That doesn't include uh, women and children. So it's probably 15,000, 20,000 people, maybe more. And he sees them. He lands and he sees them. And when he sees them, he has compassion on them. He's drawn to them. And not only is he drawn to them, but the Bible tells us that he heals their sick. Mark chapter 6, 34 gives us a different perspective, but it's one in the same. It says, when Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And so he began teaching them many things. I want to show you a difference between both of these scriptures that really points us to one truth. Verse 14 tells us the results of what happened when Jesus gets there. Let's look at verse 14. It says that Jesus landed, he saw the large crowd, he had compassion on them, and he healed their sick. So what was the result? He healed them, right? But Mark 6.34 tells us how. Watch this. Mark 6.34 says, when Jesus landed and he saw the large crowd, he had compassion on them, right? But watch what he did, because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And so he began teaching them many things. Are you seeing the connection? Jesus lands, and what, how does he heal them? The Bible puts it this way. He sent his word and healed them. I want you to begin to see the power of what you believe and the truth that you have internalized and accepted the saving power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You've received it. it. You've internalized it. It's changing your relationship. Your marriage is possibly restored. Your children are now beginning to go in a different direction. You think differently. You see things differently. You're experiencing different things. You're relying on the promises of God. You're looking to God's word. It's impacting you. Praise God. But get this. It's that very same message that will do the same in the lives of those that exist outside the walls of your life. It's the same message. It's the same message. And when Jesus got there and he landed, he took off. He goes out and he lands. What's the first thing that happens? He sees them. But he doesn't see what the disciples see. If you read the story, they're like, oh, there's way too many people. We don't have money. We can't do this. We can't do that. They, had, they saw all these other things. Jesus sees them. Mark 6 tells us that he sees them. And he saw them like sheep without a shepherd. He recognized what they needed. And he gave it to them. He taught them the truth. He instilled in them the life-giving, life-changing, transforming power of truth, the truth of God. He declared to them, I am the light of the world. I'm the way. I'm the truth. I'm the life. And so he saw them. So question, how aware are you of those around you? How aware are you? What do you see? When that coworker blasts off and they're all negative and they, they curse you out and maybe they make fun of you or whatever, 
when somebody flips you the bird or cuts you off or when your kids act up because they don't know Jesus or whatever, what do you see? Do you, do you react impulsively and go by how they're acting? Well, let me ask you this. How would that work if that's how God saw us? It wouldn't. That's not how God sees. Jesus shows us how God sees. He saw them, and he saw the real need, and he taught them. He gave it to them. Ladies and gentlemen, I want to encourage you, when you leave here today, maybe this is your first time, maybe this is the only time you'll be here because you're visiting, whatever. We hope you'll stay. But here's my point. When you leave here today, what will you see in others, and what will you give them? What will you give them? You're building with God. The Bible says you are a joint there. You're co-laborers with God. Praise God. God's including you in the building process. You play a part. But listen closely. There are people outside the walls that you're building. And see, that's what happened with Nehemiah. He started building walls. And he quickly realized that God was more interested in building people. And so, here's another point that I want to give you. Make the invitation to know Jesus personal. Let's watch this quick video so you can get an idea of what I'm talking about. I want to talk to you about this. Uh, I get home from the show, and at the end of the show, as I've mentioned before, we go out and we, uh, we talk to folks and, you know, sign an occasional autograph and shake hands and so on. And there was one guy waiting over to the side in the um, what I call the hover position after I was all done. Big guy, probably about my age. Big guy. And um, he had been the, um, the guy who has uh, picks the joke during our psychic comedian section of the show. Uh, so he had the props from that in his hand because we give those away. He had the the joke book and the and the envelope and the paper and stuff. If you haven't seen the live show, uh, it's not worth explaining. But he had props in the show that we'd given him from the night before. Uh, he wasn't the guy that night. And he walked over to me and he said, um, I was here last night at the show, and uh, uh, I saw the show and I liked it. I wanted, and he was very complimentary about my use of language and... Um, complimentary about, you know, honesty and stuff. He said nice stuff. No reason to go into it. He said nice stuff. And then he said, I brought this for you. And he handed me a uh, Gideon pocket edition. Um, I thought it said from the New Testament, but I also thought it was Psalms from the New Testament, right? Or, uh, Psalms from the New, just part of the New Testament little book about this big, this thick, you know. He said, I wrote in the front of it, and I wanted you to have this. I'm kind of uh, proselytizing. And then he said, I'm a businessman. I'm, I'm sane. I'm not crazy. And he looked me right in the eye and did all of this. And, uh, 
It was really wonderful. I believe he knew that I was an atheist. But he was not uh, defensive, and he looked me right in the eyes. And he was truly complimentary. It wasn't in any way, it didn't seem like empty flattery. He was really kind and nice and sane and looked me in the eyes and talked to me and then gave me this Bible. And I've always said, you know, that I, I don't respect people who don't proselytize. I don't respect that at all. If you believe that there's a heaven and hell and people could be going to hell or not getting eternal life or whatever, and you think that, uh, well, it's not really worth telling them this because it would make it socially awkward. And atheists who think that people shouldn't proselytize, just leave me alone, keep your religion to yourself. Uh, how much do you have to hate somebody to not proselytize? How much do you have to hate somebody to believe that everlasting life is possible and not tell them that? I mean, if I believed beyond a shadow of a doubt that a truck was coming at you and you didn't believe it, but that truck was bearing down on you, there's a certain point where I tackle you. And this is more important than that. And I've always thought that, and I've written about that, and I've thought of it conceptually. But this guy was a really good guy. He was polite and honest and sane, and he cared enough about me to proselytize and give me a, a Bible, which had written in it a little note to me, uh, not very personal, but just, you know, like to show and so on. And then like five phone numbers for him and an email address if I wanted to get in touch. Now, I know there's no God, and one polite person living his life right doesn't change that. Uh, but I'll tell you, he was a very, very, very good man. And uh, that's really important. And with that kind of goodness, uh, it's okay to have that deep of a disagreement. I still think that religion does a lot of bad stuff, but man, that was a good man who gave me that book. That's all I wanted to say. I want you to consider an idea here. Penn Jillette is one of the most outspoken atheists in the United States. This guy has written books. He's gone public about it on national TV. He's debated God's existence. But the man he refers to dares to share a Bible with him. Dares to look at him eye to eye. Dares to say to him, hey man, let me talk to you about Jesus. Now, it's a sad situation that he leaves with the conclusion, his heart is so hard that he says, there's no God. But I want you to consider the words, the impression that he had, that he, that he left from that conversation. There's goodness in this world. That was a good man. He wasn't crazy. And he goes to some real deep thought. He says, man, he cared for me enough that he believes 
that I am on my way to hell and he cares enough to push me out the way, so to speak, to bring me truth. Let me tell you something. Whether Pendulette knows it or not, he had a personal encounter with Jesus at that moment. People are not going to go to hell because of the bad things they do. People will go to hell because of the rejection of Jesus Christ. That's what, that's, that's what God's going to look at. If it was based on our behavior, then guess what? We're all in a, in a heap of trouble. Because even after you know Jesus, you still drop the ball. But thank God that what Jesus did was enough. It was more than enough. And today we can come boldly to the throne of grace where we find mercy and more grace is what the Bible says. And so this man, Penn, questions how much do you have to hate someone not to tell them the truth? Luke chapter 10, 16, Jesus says this, and we're wrapping up. He says, whoever listens to you, listens to me. So to consider that. When you bring the gospel, stop looking at you. Because the one they're actually encountering is Jesus. Whoever rejects you rejects me, but whoever rejects me rejects him who sent me. See, when you invite people within your walls, you invite Jesus to become up close and personal in theirs. That's just the truth, ladies and gentlemen. Regardless of the outcome you may experience, just know that Jesus is most personal and real to people who don't know him when you invite them to know him face to face. When you get up close and personal. And lastly, I want to leave you with a thought. Isaiah chapter 12, verses 3 and 4 says, With joy you will draw water from the, wall, from the wells of salvation. In that day you will say, Give praise to the Lord. Proclaim His name. Make known among the nations what He has done. And proclaim that His name is exalted. I want you to think about what it's calling us to proclaim. It's telling us to tell them what God has done. Tell them what God has done. You know, there are many people today that they go, oh, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I, I believe you. I hear what you're saying, but, but I got to get my act together. No, tell them God's not mad at you. Tell them God's not asking you to change yourself. Tell them God's not asking you to clean yourself up and get your act together. Listen, what God has done, he did for all mankind. What Jesus did is enough. Jesus did not just die and rise again for the sin of the people in church. He died for the entire world. Sin has been removed. The stain of sin is no longer separating anyone from God. And so tell them what God has done. Not just for you, but for them, for the world. The greatest lie ever told by Satan is this, after Christ's resurrection. That sin is still an issue between God and men. If it was, then what Jesus did wasn't good enough. And here's what we know. What Jesus did is more than enough. It's more than enough. It's more than enough that it covers the sin of the entire world. And today we bear a message that says, come. Come, taste and see that the Lord is good. Come know how much God loves you. 
it's time to get outside our walls. I want to encourage you with something, whether this is your home church or you've got another home church. I want to encourage you with this. You know, when I met my wife, there was one thing that I wanted to do. I wanted my family to meet her. I wanted my family to know that I loved this woman and that I had intentions to marry this woman. I knew that when I first met her. She didn't know that, but I already knew that. But my point is this. Hey, wherever you fellowship, why don't you invite people to come meet your family? To come meet the body, the fellowship of believers that you're a part of. You know why? Because when you do that, not only do you tell them, not only are you inviting them to come and see, you're inviting them to know that they belong. Amen. Amen. Father, we thank you this day for the truth of your word. Father, we praise you and we bless you. We thank you, O oh God, for the great work that you've done in Jesus in us. But Lord, what you've built in us, Lord... Those walls of the kingdom of God that you've built, Lord, there are those that exist outside those walls. And so, Lord, we pray, help us to see. I pray, open the eyes of your people and their hearts to see those in need of the gospel, to know the truth. And, Lord, I thank you that your word says that when they are before kings and they're before men and before those that will question what they believe, that you will bring to their remembrance the truth of the words that you've spoken and that the gospel, the saving power of the gospel touches them, enlightens their eyes and redeems them by the message of your great love for them, Lord. This day, Lord, we live here with an understanding that we're fully equipped and that, yes, God has called us to build something big, but it includes those outside the walls of what we're building. Help us to daily remember that, to see them and touch them, to love them with your love, and to introduce them to the life-giving, life-changing, transforming, powerful message of the gospel. In Jesus' name.